This is DeFi by Stake Capital, a podcast in exploration of the DeFi ecosystem from the mouth and personal experiences of its builders and protagonists. Today, we dive into tokenized music royalties with William Bailey, co-founder and CEO at Bolero. This episode is sponsored by Comet Connect, the account abstraction as a service offering an intuitive and secure biometric smart wallet for web-free adoption. William, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm pretty excited to have you here today at Define Podcast because at last we talk about music. I think music has a lot in store to offer. Uh, it always had, but there's always something about music and technology. Tell us who you are and um, what Bolero is about. Thank you, Matteo. Uh, excited as well uh, to be here today. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bolero. Uh, it is a music investment platform that lets anyone, uh, individuals and businesses invest in music. So we found a unique way to actually fractionalize music IP, attach it to NFTs and make it available on a primary and a secondary market. So now with Bolero, anyone can actually trade Uh, master recording rights and publishing rights on the daily. And uh, today, so far, uh, we have been working with more than 60 artists uh, around the world, uh, mostly in Europe and uh, in Middle East. And um, yeah, we are on our way to create a new paradigm in the music industry where actually creators um, can benefit from an everlasting freedom of choice while music fans and actually neo-investors can access to a brand new category of uh, assets, uh, which is today not really democratized, if I may say, but actually it represents more than 30 billion USD in the world. So... Uh, it's a really attractive and exciting space uh, to to use blockchain and to use web3 infrastructure and uh, yeah I guess uh, I guess we will be able to talk about this uh, deeper yes first first question is why amongst all the business possibilities offered in, <laughs> in crypto and DeFi why did you decide to go with music like was it already like your kind of startup passion before you get into crypto or um, yeah you- so Actually, not at all, <laughs> not at all. Okay. Um, so before before building Bolero, I was uh, I was a product manager uh, in a software as a service company called Smartly.ai. So I was uh, basically creating softwares to let um, brands actually build up their own uh, virtual assistants um, on a text basis and on a vocal basis. And uh, so I spent almost four years. Um, working at this company and then during the first lockdown I was like wow so this is DeFi these are lending protocols okay so we are basically um, witnessing the birth of brand new operating system and like for me EVM blockchains such as Ethereum or Polygon were like the new iOS or the new Android and I was like okay, we definitely need to build something upon this. And uh, on the other hand, I was uh, really well grounded in the music industry in Paris. So I had a few friends on the electronic music scene and in uh, the uh, hip hop scene. And I was, you know, times to times I was helping them to actually find new way to generate business, uh, find new ways to uh, create new revenues. And when I saw that opportunity, I was like, okay, so this is it. Now we found a solution to actually 
inject a lot of liquidity into the music industry and in a way solve so many issues that we can, that actually creators are facing on the daily. So, so this is how it happened. And uh, in September 2020, I've resigned from my previous job. Um, I went to a coding boot camp, which is called the Wagon, and uh, so it's a two months boot camp to learn mm-hmm. the basics of coding. And uh, during this boot camp, I've met my co-founder Arthur, who is now the co-founder and CEO of Bolero. So, at the exit of the boot camp, uh, we had, you know, this idea. Like, I was like, okay, man. We need to build this up and we need to find a new way to let people invest in music. So uh, Arthur, he was really passionate about the creator economy and he wanted also to build something in, into this space. So we've left the bootcamp with this idea and we've, we've spent amount, you know, around three to four months in our respective bedrooms, actually coding and, you know, uh, talking to people to see if the idea was actually relevant. And, um, and yeah, and actually beginning of 2021, uh, the idea was, uh, was, uh, on feet and, uh, we've built this beta version of a music investment platform. It went really well. And, uh, we found a way to raise our first round so that we could have the, the, the means to our ambitions and actually hire people, uh, well-grounded in the music industry as well, but also full stack developers to build the most accessible products, uh, we could do. So let's let's get into the meat and bones of the matter, which is music and DeFi, basically. So we, you're you're bridging these two words that somehow David Bowie had already anticipated in the '90s when he listed his old catalog on the stock market. Like that was a, what is he doing? Why is he doing it? <laughs> like he already knew everything somehow. So we've seen so many like Web two platforms recently growing very fast in the music royalties market. Like there's um. The um, Belgian A note, I think it's called, or something like that. But I would like to hear from you, since you are the real bridger yeah. here in Europe. Like, do you? What are the scenarios that you see for music asset, music-based assets, and IP-based assets in the future? Like, what if uh, there was a stablecoin uh, pegged to uh, an aggregated uh, royalty pool of <laughs> so give us some 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 tripping uh, ideas that we can surf on <laughs> yeah so regarding like ip what's happening already in the space and how like people are already you know creating new opportunities and new bridges between the music industry and the defi space um i think the first important topic is what kind of assets are we talking about? Like, you know, so many people try to create new endeavors through which you were able to inject liquidity. So basically, if you look at Define Music today, you can actually purchase uh, records, covers, shares of music streaming revenues. What we found is true value remains into IP. So this is this is basically the oil. Like everything runs around IP, and if you look at uh, the majors called labels, if you look at Universal, Sony, or Warner, these big companies are today worth based on the IP that they are already owning. So if we really want to change the way uh, strength is flowing in the music industry, and if we want to give power back to the creators we should actually leverage this IP and make sure that they have the choice to keep it, to hold it, or to trade it. So 
you have two ways to do so. Uh, on the one hand, you can build uh, new protocols. There are some companies who are trying to do so. Um, I think it's really interesting that since the music industry is limited by the way streaming platforms and distributors are operating, I think that for the moment, it's a bit of an utopia to imagine that we will be able to stream music on the blockchain. You know, Maybe in five years or eight years, but at the end of the day, if you want this tremendous change to happen, it will have to come from the biggest companies already in place into the music industry. It's really hard as a challenger to change the way an entire industry operates, as far as I'm concerned. So, so actually, the second way to do so is what we do is it's about tokenizing assets. I think that the next step for Web3, beyond all the you know matters that are already triggered and yeah. tackled, such as stable coins, you, know, you talked about it, um, trust into exchanges. I think it's really about assets, assets tokenization. So we felt like the best way to improve the industry and to make sure that the creators can really like live from their music. You have to let them tokenize their assets, their IP, whether it is publishing rights or master recording rights, and you have to create brand new markets for those tokens. And it's the only way to make sure that property ownership is respected. It's the only way for creators to keep the control, like a creative control over their craft. And on the other way, it's the only way to actually make something appealing to investors and music fans so that liquidity can be injected into, into the market. Don't you think that it, there's a bit of a rat race trying to beat up Spotify UX? And especially we are living yeah. in a time where people are less inclined <laughs> to approach new stuff than, for example, in the early 2000s. When I do, for example, um, onboarding sessions to, to Web3, to labels, musicians, etc., they come to me and they ask me, what password should I use for MetaMask? <laughs> like, they're not used to passwords anymore because everything is constantly logged in, right? So my question is, do you actually see it worthy to wait for a full on-chain thing or... Do you see this harmonization with the current uh, streaming platform? And in this question, I'm actually asking you about Believe Digital. So that's a huge question. That's a big topic. I saw it. <laughs> that's a big topic. <laughs> so, so first of all, I have to say, I know that sometimes what three people think we can tear up the place and change everything. But the fact is Spotify, Deezer, Apple Music, all these platforms are so great regarding UX and you know the the entire user journey into listening to music that it's really difficult to come with a better ux and actually with a better better algorithm because what makes also the value of those platforms is not the catalog depth but it's more the ux so i'd say that you got to choose your battles and from my perspective the real battle is on the one hand money redistribution so I really think that distributors such as Believe Digital and such as, you know, DistroKey, TuneCore, all these great distributors around the world should embrace blockchain technology to make sure that each stakeholder behind the record is well paid for the commercial revenues that were generated with their craft. And the second thing is, actually, I'm not sure that on the short term, 
huge platforms such as Spotify are going to embrace blockchain to change the entire way the platform operates. But the demand asks for it. Maybe they are going to, to need to do so. And this is, this is this is also how you change your paradigm. If you are waiting for the big guys to change the way they are operating, you're never going to have a result. But if you as a demand and if artists also ask for it, then you can change a few things. Um, I'd say that now Bolero has accounts that most of the distributors platforms. So what does that mean? It means that Bolero has a mandate to actually collect royalties for Web3 holders. So now we are able to redistribute royalties on chain. This is the first step. The second step is, and this is what we're working on actually with Bolero, is artists and creators should be able to tokenize their craft and their songs as soon as it is released. And this is the next step, the next battle. It's like in, in the same fashion as each time you want to release a record, you're going to uh, prepare uh, an Instagram campaign, a Twitter campaign, and you know, different tools uh, to actually boost the release. You should also prepare a tokenization campaign. And this is the only way, like if you are able to actually tokenize the song from the get-go, starting from the release, nurturing the ecosystem on the Web3, and you make this market happen, and then and then the distributors and the streaming platforms will be like, oh, okay, something happening here. I got to see that each time someone sends over the master for their release, they are also tokenizing the same master. Maybe there's something, you know? And um, yeah, I think there are no secret recipe. It's all about a bunch of people changing the way they are operating and the way they are seeing their releases. Uh, to make sure that the big guys will be changing us. Right. I'm usually kind of against the mantra of, oh, star, poor, starving musicians, we need to support them. Although I'm a musician, but I, I cannot stand this, this sort of... Uh, rhetoric. I, I much prefer to see engagement from the audience that gives value to the musicians. But what you say is right. Like, um, as a musician, you have to put always, like, on a yearly basis, if you do a yearly release, on budget, at least between 3K and 10K for a production that never, that, that you basically give for free to Spotify or whoever that pays you half a cent on streams, hopefully getting concerts and tours but which have their own break even and their own budget so actually this idea to have something ready to monetize as you release the content and this is something that as soon as it gets through the the musicians plethora's mindset i think it will be kind of the standard for sure like if you're able to recoup from the get-go then it's great you know and 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 actually even if your music isn't profitable like in the first weeks or uh, during the first year. The amount you spent to produce this music is the least value you can have from your IP. So what I mean is if you've spent 5,000 bucks on your on your craft, then your craft is worth at least 5,000 bucks. Like this is what you need to get. And, and then it's all about the audience. And I really agree with you. The real value comes from the audience and this is why also artists need to understand that even if you spend money into your music, at the end of the day, what makes your music valuable is 
how many people are listening to your music. But it's been like this from the uh, for the entire times, the 80s, the 70s, and the 60s. It was the same. Like it was costly to actually create uh, CDs, to create cassettes. So you had to actually take ownership and take commitment for the costs to produce those uh, materials. And it's the same with streaming. You, you mentioned it earlier, this double nature of Bolero. So you have like a, um, a traditional, let's call it mandate on, on streaming platform. And then you have the web free thing, which technically I think it harmonizes into having a fiat cash flow, which you have to translate into, into, into crypto. Do you want to share something about these two silos system and how, do, how does it operate if there are any... Uh, regulation or do you use oracles tell us something about it if you feel uh, yeah yeah for sure um, so actually it works uh, in a really easy manner we have two two different phases the first phase is uh, before tokenization so before tokenization uh, we are starting to actually fractionalize the asset fractionalize the IP and then we put it into the NFTs so this is the the, the, the process of tokenizing the assets during this process, we also make sure that we have the, the right entrance to the distributors or the record labels to make sure to collect. So this is when we create the mandate. Once the mandate is validated, then it's all uh, green lights and we can start to tokenize. After tokenization, the asset is placed on the market. And then when the, the royalty statement is finished for a specific period, so these are three months period. So let's say like we are in November 2023 at the moment, the next royalty statement will be beginning of January. So beginning of January, we will have the royalty statement and we will collect the fiat, obviously. So USD or euros. And then once it's done, we have built in-house specific module that lets us actually open orders with limits so that we can have the best trades to actually translate those euros or USD into USDC. Once we have the USDC, it goes into a specific redistribution smart contract that we treat the royalty shares for the holders. And then uh, we'll send over all the USDC into the wallets. This is also like why it is hard, but worth it to actually build into this space because this is a really, you know, a new way to treat those royalties and to create this new system and sometimes it's something that people don't see but there is so so many things happening in the background you know it's also one of the vision we had when we started Boreo. we've made a promise which was we are going to really abstract technology entirely it means that a lot of stuff happens in the background so this guy doesn't know anything <laughs> nice nice you're dealing with monolithic collecting societies that until 2014, until the Barnier Directive, gather and, and you know and manage copyrights, etc. Sometimes also with some you know backdoor scandals. Right now we are in a system in Europe at least where everyone is uh, theoretically allowed to start a collecting society. But in practical, these big groups, which are basically state-owned companies, they still have like the mechanical mandate to gather um, copyrights from radios, TVs, sinks, all this stuff. So how 
how do we get rid of them? And if not, how do we integrate them into the new logic? The real question is, do you really want to get rid of them? They have the channels. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm not going to replace the channels and the plugs that they have to make sure that they are collecting as much money as possible for the creators. So the question is more, how do we make sure that the figures that they are highlighting and validating are the right figures? And I think like the, the, the real fight is here. And um, like in France, SSM and the SSM already has started to build new tools around blockchain and to make sure we can actually validate the right figures at the right place. And so basically accountability uh, works. Uh, and they have released a tool which is called Music Starts. And Music Starts lets you, like when you are declaring the birth of a new craft, so a new record or a new song, you can actually save the record into Music Start so that the record is saved on the blockchain, so your rights are saved on the blockchain with the ESRC, meaning that each time the song will be played or each time there will, there will be a collection event regarding the exploitation of this record, the money collected will be directly flowing to this. And then if you are the owner of this original IP registered on the blockchain, you will be able to benefit. Mm -hmm. So I think the only issue today is that not every collection organism is equal. Meaning that like the SASM is in France is really inspiring because they are making tons of work regarding innovation and they're really trying to leverage this new tech or tool uh, that are available and accessible. Uh, but I guess it's not the same in every country. Um, so to me, the best practice is make sure that they are leveraging the tools. Uh, but at the moment, we need those guys. Yeah, right. And I think that's... Uh, we need to move forward together, hand in hand, and it will be, I think, the best result possible for creators because at the end of the day, these guys have the know-how. They know how to collect. Yeah. I think in France, you do have like a um, very forward-looking ecosystem, traditional system, especially I'm talking about, for example, BPI, which is, um, so you have this sort of age for traditional agencies that all of a sudden, very fast, very quickly, they said, okay, we have to you know, just just uh, shrub the, the dust off and, and get up to date. Yeah. So it's, um, how do you see, do you see that it, it was it was easier for you to start in France than looking elsewhere? Or was mm. it just because you're, you're based there that you started in France? Yeah, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not a strategic choice. I would say that uh, if I had the choice back, back, uh, back in the time, to go to the US or in Asia because I think capital was less like difficult to access back at the time and yeah. also like I think that like BPI is great and all those institutes are great uh, but at the end of the day you have to access artists you have to access money you have to access capital you have to access also to the best developers the only advantage is that we have a really strength like a really strong ecosystem of uh, entrepreneurs, uh, developers, and designers. So it looks like, from my perspective, that we have the best skills at hand to build great products. Then also I'd say that 
the fact that most of the artists we are working with at the moment are really well structured because France is um, really, you know, upward regarding the way artists should be registered, how, you know, records are registered as well. Um, we have a great structure to operate in. So it is better to start from France and then to expand towards uh, new countries and new territories. You mentioned that Bolero is mainly dealing with or exclusively dealing with IP. Um, there are many derivatives from music. Let's call them this way. There are royalties or um, licenses. Like I want to give you permission to use my song into a commercial game syncing, etc. Are you looking into that as well? What new products? Are you looking into new products based on music? Not at the moment. Like, like uh, what, you're, what you're referring about is actually record exploitation. Yeah. So how do we actually grow the revenues associated to a record? And how do we make sure that, for instance, uh, a movie or a TV show or a commercial ad is using uh, your record so that we can actually benefit from a new revenue? So this is actually the work of a publisher or record label. So we are not a record label, we are not a publisher yeah. so far. So maybe in the future, um, but yeah, at the moment we don't see possibilities at hand regarding record exploitation. Mm -hmm. Why is it hard to make some IP? It's because there are so many revenue sources. And as a holder, when you hold that IP, you are actually exposed to the revenues coming from all, all those sources. So this is why we've put a lot of effort to actually build those uh, collection mandates so that If tomorrow, like for instance, Bolero users, they own 10% of a record, but the record label also owns 15%. And the performer, he owns 30%. If tomorrow the record label negotiates a deal to have a sync contract for a specific track, so, so for the record you own the IP of, we, Bolero, we got to make sure that this record label who owns 15% will declare this sync contract so that's the IP that we represent for the users benefit from the revenue. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see anything we can put on chain regarding this practice so far, but uh, we'll be focused on it. And if there is an opportunity, uh, make sure that we'll be the first one on it. A bit of a some, some solar punk um, question into it. I, how do you <laughs> see how do you see the future of AI and um, helping Web3 in in regards to the music system? Um, I give you some. I love this question. <laughs> uh, it was my previous job, you know. Um, so first of all, the thing is, when you talk about AI, you talk about knowledge. You talk about humanity because uh, it changed a lot for humanity. Because humans have brought knowledge to the program. This is how you create AI. Actually, uh, you base your uh, the entire knowledge of the AI on human works. So. First of all, how do you monetize this knowledge? So how, like, for instance, uh, if tomorrow the AI is capable to produce an incredible record based on Roxanne from the police, you should be giving a revenue to the police. It's about immutability and also traceable, traceability of who has brought to who and Uh, what value was used to actually produce a result from the AI perspective. Right, which is not necessarily involving AI. I mean, you could create incentive to state all the bands that you grasp or all the artists that you grasp 
ideas from and say that song has 30% of Queen, 20% of Daft Punk and, and this and that and maybe by, by doing so you, you kind of receive an incentive or you're putting the streamline of the family tree of or, or something like that it's um yeah it's actually but it's like clearing a record means you are actually asking permission from the it holders if you can use a sample of their record right. into your record right but now it's less intuitive because maybe the ai was trained your records but you will never know about it we could see that in the data sets, your record with the registration were, were used. And then we can easily trace and come back to you as a creator for giving you a revenue because the AI was leveraging what you have created in the first place. So it's really fascinating, but I'd say we are a little bit late. You know, if you look at what GPT can do today, GPT was already trained. It's done. Like, like before that, you had to have your record exploited to make a revenue. Tomorrow, actually, your record used to train an AI will be also a new revenue source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting closer to the end of, the, of our conversation, we've been through, fingers crossed, maybe we are in... A, bull market uh, again uh, i actually I, i hate this bull and bear i prefer the turtle market like slow and steady and very shielded like to the but anyway um we've seen so many black swan events um, pinning the, this last this last bear market how does a black swan event in music look like I'd say that, to be honest, any blacksmith is the result of human er errors. And I think that the lesson learned from those blacksmith events and how we can make sure that we don't face the same issues during the next uh, rabbit run or bull run, <laughs> whatever the name you'd like to put on it, it's an illusion. And we've seen it through many exchanges, hacks, like blockchain will always be able to get people back on track and People who don't have the discipline and the commitment to offer reliable systems are no longer part of the ecosystem. Any builder, Web3 innovator who are still here after the bear market, there are people who know the value of offering reliable systems. So I think we are going to see less and less Black Swan Havens. Yeah, let's support these... Uh... This wishful thinking, I, I think, I think it's, a, it's a good way to start. Okay, um, I would say we cannot end the interview without you mentioning, I don't know, maybe your top three artists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guilty pleasures are also well, well accepted. Like yeah, guilty pleasures as well. Okay, so because we're ending 2023, maybe I can give you my top three of 2023. Okay, maybe. okay, cool, cool. I think it's the best way to do so. Uh, so I'd say top one would be uh, the latest uh, records from Lil Yoti. It's an amazing record. It's kind of a blend between Frank Ocean and Pink Floyd. And mm. the guy has made something super interesting to listen to. Uh, so it's Lil Yoti and uh, the album is named... We'll give you the album right away. The album is Let's Start Here. So this is my top one of 2023. Really okay. like a huge discovery. Uh, second, a techno artist, I think making a lot of interesting waves uh, into the electronic music scene. So it's Marlon Upstats. And this guy has made great records, uh, basically remixing 
uh, hits or classic from the pop industry mm -hmm. into techno trance records nice. so it's super interesting nice so Marlon of Sats you should uh, you should you should you should go listen to him mm -hmm. and uh, to finish this is someone that I really like Brent Fires you gotta listen to this guy he has just released a new record incredible like super emotional super harmonious there are so many different instruments used into it and it's it's a blend between happiness R&B Actually, bad energy. So it's a little bit weird to say, to like to pitch it like this. But no, no, no. You, really you made it very clear. Actually, I, I think that describing music in terms of energy nowadays, where we we are surrounded by bad energy, like cult <laughs> of death everywhere, etc. I think it's good. It's good to categorize music in that way. So uh, yeah. We, so this is my pick. Nice. We cons we suggest everyone to go and check them out. William, thank you so much for being with us today. Do you want to leave us with some highlights for the future or maybe tell us who we should interview next? First of all, guys, get ready for 2024. I think it will be definitely tremendous year. So I'm super excited for the next year. And uh, regarding people, definitely interview uh, my peers from France. So I say Pablo Vera from Engel. Uh, he's the smartest guy I know uh, in the space at the moment. And I'm also uh, lucky to have him as an advisor at Bolero. And uh, also, I'd say uh, uh, you should also ask uh, a guy uh, who has worked towards a community called Jericho, who is, uh, who is in Vladimir, and I will give you his contact. Nice. We'll, uh, we'll hand them down for sure. Okay, William, thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Matteo.